Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to That Psych Runner podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina. On this show, we talk about how to thrive in the sport of running, from on the road to in the kitchen to in your own mind. We hear inspirational stories from others and talk about the psychology behind it all. I'm so happy you're here and enjoy the show. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I'm sure that many of you guys are super excited to talk about this topic today, and that is going to be injuries and running. And we're going to talk all things injuries and running. And I have a very special guest today, um, Lauren Cools. She is a physical therapist, and she works with a lot of runners and has expertise on all of this um, that we're going to talk about. So without further ado, can you introduce yourself further? All right. Um, my name is Lauren Cools, and I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Um, in addition to that, uh, being a full-time clinic-based physical therapy therapist, I am a running coach, and I have been married for 12 years. I'm a mom of two boys. I also had a stillborn daughter at five months of pregnancy, so I like to talk about that um, in on my Instagram or just in general with people, just to normalize that for struggling patients and parents out there. And then on Instagram, I am run Dr. C. <laughs> and um, I basically started that Instagram a year ago to start um, my running coach business. And that also allowed me to start educating runners from a physical therapist perspective. And from this, many doors have been open for collaborations, uh, race company collaborations. I've had the opportunity to work with the very nice track club team, which checked off one of my career goals of getting to work with elite professional and amateur level runners. And I'm not going to lie, I originally created the Instagram because I was frustrated with some of the advice that I saw out there. And I felt like there needed to be more research-based information out there. I so just have a passion for teaching in general. So just in my career, I seek out multiple different outlets to start teaching um, with. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, just a little bit about myself. <laughs> that's awesome. And I love how you started your Instagram just kind of, there's a lot of reasons, but I also really appreciate how you emphasize, like there's a lot of terrible misinformation out there. And I was like over here giving her snaps when she was talking about that, because that is just like, you post amazing information and just like the content is so evidence-based, but there's a lot of influencers out there and a lot of other people, I'm not going to name names that are just giving mm -hmm. out 
some very strong misinformation. So I love your motivation and your dedication to really making this platform right. <laughs> Thank you. So how did you get into physical therapy? Um, so like a lot of physical therapists, like they were injured themselves at some point, or they had a family member. So for me, I had, um, a lot of injuries. I ran in college and I got injured a lot in our, mostly like the winter, um, indoor track seasons. And I, I didn't get to really train through the winter. And then I just had to like go into the track season with not a lot of winter-based mileage and that setback normally involved a lot of work in the training room, um, which they gave me, you know, just like general core work and strengthening to do. And I got some stretching and some hot packs. But unfortunately, this would like take months of rehab and getting imaging and just going through all those different outlets. And then eventually I would get frustrated and seek outside help. And sometimes that, that outside help was like, a very quick, simple fix. Like, oh, you just have like a really deep restriction in your hamstring. And I just got to lay my elbow to, into it and get it out. And there you are, you're back running. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like I have been just mentally struggling. Um, it's so hard being in that team environment and everybody starts talking, oh, she's injured because of this. She's injured because of that. And, and you start to feel like such an outsider. Um, the coach starts to look at you differently. Like, like I, you know, it was a lot of things. I just, I just didn't know what to do, but I was being labeled as different. Um, you know, like, Oh, it's because she has a boyfriend now. Oh, it's because she's doing this. And I was like, no, none of this is true. Like, I don't know what's wrong. And it, it got, it was tough. Um, and it happened multiple years and it was normally, it came down to something like a, a simple quick fix. And that frustrated me. Like they were great people. They were doing their best in the training room. Um, but that motivated me to become very passionate about just quickly diagnosing the issue, um, getting to the underlying issue and getting that athlete back as quickly as possible. When you enter physical therapy school, they normally say, oh, a lot of you have an idea that you're going to work with athletes and you want to be this type of PT. But as we learn all areas of physical therapy, you're probably going to change your mind like, oh, maybe I'll go into pediatrics or something like that. Um, but like I stuck to it. I was determined <laughs> and I um still doing it till this day and uh, growing in that area. And it's just it's always been my motivation to um specifically with runners but with all athletes get them back to sport as quickly as possible yeah that's beautiful and I think it's kind of I think it's extra special too that you're using your experience and what you went through to help other people now and I think it makes the care more meaningful and impactful because you can empathize with those athletes who are feeling stuck and I just hate how there is that like you know it's a natural human thing to want to point to a cause of a certain problem like an injury so I mean that is literally just a natural human instinct that we all have we need to blame something for something aversive to happen and the fact that people do that with injuries with other people injuries too 
and blame them for it rather than blaming their situation. Classic mm -hmm. fundamental attribution error right there in the injury world that leads to a lot of just negative evaluations and just really harmful things that can happen to an injured athlete. So I really like how you brought that into play and then also are using that experience to help other people. Yeah. And I came across your page and I was drawn to that because my undergrad was in health psychology. So I got my um, bachelor's degree in psychology at Wayne State. And I've just always had a passion for psychology. I, you know, thought about going the route that you went. Um, but I thought like, you know, I can incorporate this into healing, um, you know, something just as simple as like, what were my cortisol levels when everybody was turning against me in that, in that group culture like that? Um, probably not great. <laughs> and, and I can tell you that cause I could like cry at, you know, a moment um, notice. So it was, it was, it was tough. Um, even being a, a post-collegiate athlete right now and, and an aging athlete, um, you know, that's tough too, because we had our glory days and a lot of us are a struggle because we we have these maybe unrealistic goals of being what we were in our 20s at our optimum and um it it it's tough it's tough um in the athletic world for sure so i like incorporating that with just everybody that's like stripped from their normalcy um, in healing, if it's like someone that I see that has a knee replacement, you know, their, their life has been taken away from them temporarily. So definitely can incorporate a lot of that into healing. Yeah, absolutely. The mind and body are so interconnected. And I've said before on this podcast that it is really my, I mean, well, that is my like research expertise is not expertise, but specialty. I am not an expert. I am a student right now, um, <laughs> but it is. You're, you're there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the connection between the mind and body and how influential that is. And so like you were saying, like your cortisol levels, like adding that stressful environment to injury healing is just gonna like physiologically, it prolongs healing. And so just making sure that I think that psych and like PT go so hand in hand just because of that connection. And so making sure that athletes are covering or also having good psychological care is so important. So mm -hmm. Great. And so do you specialize with runners or what is your specialty now? Yeah. Um, so I'm a certified running gait specialist. Um, and I also um one class away from becoming a certified manual therapist. So that just means I just have additional training in the hands-on uh therapy. Um and like I, I had to take a course on each body part separately and dive into those a little deeper. Um, in addition to that, I am also certified in ASTEM, which is a type of like those like scraping tools that you see out there. Um, so it's a, a form of instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization. And um, I am certified in dry needling and I'm just I was kind of like a coming out, um, like a continuing ed junkie. <laughs> so I just like, like, I, it, I will learn all areas of physical therapy. Just, I just love learning. <laughs> I that. love that. That's awesome. My PT always wants me to try dry needling, but I'm so scared of needles. So I'm always like, no, don't do it. But yeah, I mean, it is a contraindication relatively. So that's like normally my first question. Like before I even say, have you heard of dry needling? I say, are you scared of needles? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, so, um, but I mean, if you, as, as long as you're not going to like, I'm like, well, will you pass out? <laughs> and so, you know, I'll dive a little deeper into that. Like I do it on my husband. He will pass out. He has a response to that just from some 
uh, previous trauma with needles. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so those types I will definitely not do it on, but maybe your type, I might try to like talk you into it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Oh, that's so funny. Um, well, yeah, it sounds like you have a really great, just diverse array of skills then in the physical therapy realm. Um, so you also mentioned, you know, that you were a runner in college, kind of, can you just talk a little bit about your running story and I guess how you got into running and, um, what you're doing now? Yeah, this is where it will get long. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm like, geez, this will, this will be my 20th year. I mean, some pregnancies in between there, um, that I couldn't quite fully run through, but like, um, uh, 20th year of like being a competitive runner. <laughs> so I feel like I'm one of those high mileage vehicles. Right now. Yeah. Um, and a lot of us like, uh, like that post-collegiate group that I run with, like, we're all kind of there, like, yeah, we can get injured pretty easily. We're, we're high mileage <laughs> vehicles. Um, whereas like some new runners, like, you, uh, there's a lot of people in the running lab group where they, um, you know, they just started running and they're 40 years old and they're just, they're killing it. They are just, they can put in all the miles and everything. And I have like, I'm like, I can't do what you're doing. Um, just, you know, there's some, there's some history on these legs, yeah. but in, in that aspect, like there's good history on this legs where I have muscle memory, where I can like still perform pretty well. And, and I have that, um, performance knowledge of like how to push yourself. And that's, that's something that's like, you can't coach, like you can't mm -hmm. coach grit <laughs> a lot of the time. So, um, so it, it's interesting, um, being at this point in my life. Um, so I started out in high school, I was mainly my whole life, soccer, basketball player, volleyball, just all around, just kind of athletic. And then, um, in high school, my two older siblings, um, they ran cross country and track and they eventually got full ride scholarships for that. Um, so I came to this crossroads moment where I had to start to decide, um, even though I was a good soccer player, I knew our particular team was never going to be watched by college scouts. <laughs> and I knew that, um, and like travel soccer wasn't as big back then. Um, and then in basketball, I knew I just, I wasn't going to grow to the size of, you know, even though I was like varsity basketball, I wasn't going to grow to the size to like a realistic, like college player. Um, so I had to make some decisions and I decided to follow in the path of my siblings and switch to cross country and track. Um, and then I remember sitting down with the basketball coach and my parents and him saying like, can you do both please? And I was like, I could do both because at the time they were the same season. They're not anymore. Um, but I, I looked up at our record record board at the high school and I said, I don't just want to like do cross country. Like I want to break the 5k record and I want to break that two mile record. And, wow. you know, a couple of years down the road, I did those. I, I got both of those goals. So like I could look him in the eyes, like I made the right decision <laughs> there and then um went on to run for Wayne State University and then I was captain of the team for three years there and we had two years we we got to qualify um for the national championship so that was very exciting experience um following undergrad I was the assistant coach at Wayne State for two years and I um kind of shut down my personal running um 
due to the amount of studying that I had to do in physical therapy school. And we traveled a lot to races on the weekends. So like I would, I, I couldn't study that much while I was with the team. So I still had to live like that athlete lifestyle of like being very productive with my study moments throughout the week so that I could travel with the team and be with the team on the weekends. Um, and then <laughs> one day I sat down with my advisor at Wayne State and she said, uh, just kind of casually, she was like, Lauren, how are things going? And I just broke down crying. <laughs> um, at the time, I had a lot of family stress um, going on. Um, on top of studying, I was coaching on the weekends. I was planning my wedding during the first year of physical therapy school. And we were working on flipping a new house. And I hit a tipping point. And she looked at me and she said, Lauren, have you been running? <laughs> And I said, no, I don't have time to run. I'm studying. And she said, Lauren, you're a runner. That is your homeostasis. You need to find a way to add running back into your life. And she's like, even if it's like, you know, you're studying and then you take a break, you go sprint a block and then you come back and you start studying again. So from there, I got back into just like actually training uh, for running, I signed up for the, G the Detroit Marathon in 2014. Um, I built a strong base back because um, your third year of physical therapy school, the load lightens up a little bit more. So that was my third year. Um, and then I had a lofty goal of trying to win the Detroit Marathon in 2014. And I knew at that point like I could get a sub three hour marathon mm -hmm. and I trained at that level. Um, and the year prior to that, a 308 had won it. I think it was like a kind of like a fluke year. So I was like, Oh yeah, I got this. Yeah. So, um, little did I know that like studying for my board exam, finishing my last full-time clinical where you're on your feet for 40 hours a week and coaching high school cross country at that time, I was probably not in the right time to shoot for that goal. So unfortunately, I went into training without a plan and I made a ton of mistakes, um, which ended up in a stress fracture at the end of the marathon. And I walked a majority of the miles from 18 till the end. And um, I still had a BQ time of 324, but that is because I went out insanely fast. I made that mistake as well. I learned so much from that marathon. Um, after the stress fracture healed, I signed up for a redemption marathon in the spring and then I got pregnant. <laughs> um, yeah. So then fast forward to, I couldn't really be one of those like super pregnant um, runner moms um, unfortunately we just had a lot of, um, uh, contraindications throughout pregnancies. Um, I try to do, you know, as much as I could until we had to shut things down. Um, and then fast forward to 2021, I was, um, done with pregnancies, um, for a couple of years. And then I attempted my second marathon, um, the glass city marathon in Toledo and I overtrained for that because I was um, just set on that sub three hour goal. Mm -hmm. I still 
never really researched how to train for a marathon yet. And I used a plan, but I like went over to the three hour mark and I was like, oh, okay, I'll run all these paces. Yeah. And that was based off of nothing. So then um, I got severely injured where I had to totally shut down running. I couldn't even bike due to knee pain. Um, so I had to like use the arm bike to stay in shape <laughs> um, for like over a month before the marathon. And then went on race day and I was like, maybe I'll make it through four miles, drop out, 10 miles, drop out. I wound up running the whole thing and feeling fine. And then, <laughs> um, but I, I had fun with it, which was a different I, I had never done that in a race ever and I was just like well there's no pressure so I'll just have fun with this and that, that ended in a 331 I think and then um the next year did the same thing still hadn't quite researched how to properly <laughs> train I was just you know I just thought well I coach so much and at the high school level and college level like I should know what I'm doing right so um just kind of based went off of feel I, in run groups, I would go based off of like, I'm going to hang with the guys today and I'm going to show them I can do this yeah. <laughs> at the pace. And, um, I started to, to follow more of a plan then. And that worked where I got to, um, race day healthy and then glass city out of nowhere, which is normally a spring marathon, um, was randomly 80 degrees. There was 30 degrees um, leading up to that and then it was 80 degrees on weight race day and then the next day after it was back to 40 degrees so a lot of people crashed and burned we were walking or just dumping water on our heads it was frustrating then I was like oh I finally got this right and then uh just it didn't um quite add up so that was another 330 finish and then this year I learned so much I got the coaching certification learned so much more of like the science backing marathon training and how to properly train on um, went back to the gym for the first time after COVID like we have a lot of things at home to strength train but it just like wasn't the same as as going into the gym um so I started getting back into heavier lifting practicing what I preach um and then I figured a couple other things out with training I uh, signed up for the Chicago Marathon with a goal, a realistic goal this time um, with based off of my lifestyle with kids right now. They're they're getting busier with extracurricular activities. Um, work is busy. Um, I don't get adequate rest. I can't be a high mileage runner when I'm training. Um, so and then through testing, I was like, okay, I can hit a 315. And I hit a 315 dead on, on for Chicago and just had a smile on my face the whole time. So it was like, I met my competitive goal and had fun with it at the same time. And that is like the ultimate just marathon, you know, that's all of our goals. Right? <laughs> and, and to come back out of that injury free, that was also really cool. Um, so just learned from overtraining in the past, being too competitive, I've had um, literally my college cross-country coach talk to me before my marathon a couple of years ago, and he said, you are probably the least talented runner that was ever on our team. He's like, <laughs> but I was, like, always one of, I was always one of the top runners, and um, I was like, oh, geez, thanks. And he's like, yeah, you're actually not that great of a runner. I was like, oh, thanks. And he's like, but you are the hardest worker, run, hardest working runner that I've 
ever coach. So I think that's where I tend to get in over my head because like my mind, I can push myself harder than kind of like maybe I'm physiologically able to. Um, so yeah, I definitely have really learned from overtraining in the past. So I tried the run slower to get faster method and that worked um, this year. And obviously I still have that sub three hour lingering um, as a goal, but um, I'm not at the point of motherhood where I think I can do that right now. So I just know from friends and like my sister-in-law, she got a sub three hour this year um, that I just, I just have to be patient and probably wait until my kids are older so that I can properly train for that goal. So that is my long story, <laughs> but um always trying to maybe beat those pre-baby PRs. So that, yeah. those are my goals. Just Absolutely. No, that's awesome. And wow, there's so much in there that is just like, it's, it's like a life journey. Honestly, I, I think that it's cool how I really liked that one moment that you talked about with your advisor and you kind of broke down and she was like, you are a runner, you have to get back into running. And also just like learning from both your overtraining mistakes and everything. And now you're taking a healthy approach to training. I think that's a lesson that a lot of us can learn is that like, we don't have to always be chasing these super competitive goals that we want because it's like life first before running. And we have to factor in everything and still have fun while chasing these goals. So I really like that. And thank you for sharing your story. So what we are going to talk about today is different running injuries. And so what we're going to do is we, I have uh, Lauren pick out the top three common running injuries. We're going to talk about what are causes of this, what are the symptoms, and then how to treat them. And then we're going to go into some other specific injury questions as well. Um, but to start us off, what are the top three common running injuries? So um, just like what I see a lot of um in the clinic like this is totally not research-based just like personal yep. um it would I see a lot of hamstring and calf issues um and you know everything related in those areas um and then my third choice would be other <laughs> um so I I can't Tag down how I would treat, you know, like a, a knee or like an IT band syndrome or how, how I would particularly treat a calf injury because I don't treat a diagnosis. Um, and that's where we can like just in general as physical therapists, we call it like don't chase the pain. Um, so people would be like, oh, it's your knee. I'm going to treat your knee. I'm going to treat your knee. I'm going to treat your knee. Um, but we need to look at the big picture. Um, we need to have a proper evaluation. Um, so with research, the, the top running injury is the knee. Um, and I think this is due to, we have a lot of like mechanical dysfunction and, and weakness in our foot and hips. And then the knee is kind of like the in-between man. It, it kind of like, it takes the pressure of both of those. There's normally a lack of communication between the foot and the hip. And then the knee becomes the main pain driver. Um, so I don't have a like a for sure list based off of that, but I do have a generalized um just synopsis of treating those injuries and running injuries. Um and what research has shown is that running injuries come down to four main causes of getting an injury. And 
those are simplified to an increase in week, weekly mileage, more than 10% at a time. And may, you guys probably heard some of these out there, um, being a novice runner. So just, you know, your muscles aren't used to it yet. You're getting um, used to the mechanics of it. And uh, a lot of novice runners might jump into, oh, I'm going to do a marathon <laughs> or I'm going to do a 5K. Um, and that, like training um, will come into effect there. And like me, it's taken years and years and years to figure out somewhat the marathon. Um, so being a novice runner comes into play. Incre increasing intensity too soon. So jumping into speed workouts when maybe you don't have that base mileage yet. Um um, and then the, obviously the weekly mileage will come into play there, or maybe you're just like throwing a ton of strength training in with, um, increasing all other areas at the same time. So that can be overwhelming to the system and then returning from running, um, without healing from a previous injury is the fourth factor. So what you may have noticed there is I never mentioned running surface type, um, shoe type, gender, age, weight, all of these other factors that maybe our friends or our running groups like might say, oh, it's because of this. Oh, it's because of that. Like those, um, the running form. <laughs> I used to like at, at the beginning of treating runners, I was like, oh yeah, it's your form. It's your form. It's your form. But you know, the research isn't showing that, um, it does show it to a certain level with, um, overstriding, to simplify things, but not other things that we hear like, oh, you have to be a midfoot striker be um, instead of a, a rear foot striker, a heel striker, or um, you got to swing your arms this way or lean forward. You know, none of that has been related specifically in research. Um, so it's a big picture. And a lot of times, as a physical therapist, I need to look into their training plan because that's a majority of why they're, that's the reason why they're injured when it comes down to it. So, um, that's where like having a background in coaching and how to train properly is totally different than an experience that you can get just walking into any PT clinic. Um, so definitely if you are a runner that's going to be training luck, really seek out a physical therapist with that specialty, with that background, where they can really dive down into like why you are getting injured. Yeah, absolutely. So it really, I love how you pointed out some of those, like, oh, we hear all these things through social media that it's like, oh, it's just your running form. But it sounds like it really is just kind of comes down to those pillars of like, you have to train smart in order to stay injury free. Um, and what do you think? I know that a lot of people also say this about like under fueling leading to injuries. And I heard that it's mostly bone injuries um, as far as that part, but does that play into it at all? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we're just like cars <laughs> to do that analogy that a lot of physical therapists do is, uh, you know, we've got to have our tires rotated and in alignment. So that can be, you know, like you can think of that as like our bones and our muscles um, just being in that physical shape. And then we we have to have fuel in the tank. That car is not going to run. It's not going to perform without fuel in the tank. It's going to break down. Um. So, yes, like the whole rest and recovery balance incorporated with fueling huge factors with with injuries um you know a muscle just simplifying it 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 needs 
electrolytes to function. And that's a huge part of marathon training is, are, are, can you, can you master the fueling? Um, that, that, um, you know, that's always a work in progress. I think for all of us, like, is my stomach going to feel good on race day? And then, um, are my muscles going to feel good? Am I going to be able to prevent, you know, that dreaded cramping or, Am I going to be at, even if you're a 5k runner, am I going to be ready for race day by being properly fueled? Um, as a high school coach, um, mainly, um, I had to talk to the high schoolers a lot because high schoolers just, you know, they're just grabbing whatever they like, you know, <laughs> they, yeah. at lunchtime, they might be eating a package of fruit snacks and a yeah. cookie and calling it good. Um, I was fortunate where my mom realized that, um, fuel was going to be a main factor in our performance. So I would say that, like, I don't think I was necessarily a talented high school runner, even though I, I was normally like in the top part of the, the state meet and everything, um, in different meets. And I think it was just cause I, I was properly fueled. And then I was fortunate where I have the rare, unfortunately experience of being a college athlete where my coach promoted, maybe like excessive eating, <laughs> but it was like in a good way. Like we were a bunch of like, okay, talent wise athletes that were properly fueled and we performed well um, in our program because of that. And I have heard horror stories from friends from other programs, quite the opposite, quite the opposite. And, you know, their injuries for, were from that. Um, so this could be a whole separate podcast and I know that you've covered it in other podcasts of feeling, but yes, it can lead to injuries and underperforming and, um, definitely, um, you know, like muscle tearing is going to be more common if, if, you know, if the hydration isn't there. That's so interesting. And so good to know too, like, um, and I know you mentioned I've covered this in other episodes, but it's so different coming from a physical therapy standpoint too. And I think that's really insightful. I mean, because like, I didn't know that hydration plays into like muscle activation and everything. So that's mm -hmm. so interesting. And it's just, I feel like there's kind of this assumption that, oh, um, under feeling just leads to bone injuries, but it really does lead to more like muscle injuries and stuff too, because of that. And so that's really interesting. Yeah. Our muscles can literally, they cannot contract without calcium, potassium, sodium. But like, if you look at it at a cellular level and you always hear like, oh, sodium, sodium, but like, I'm fortunate where I can like visualize what's happening at the cellular, cellular level um, for that muscle cell to contract. Um, and it, that takes some education, education too. It's like that. This is why we say, you know, that, that term electrolytes, that our muscles need that cramping is due to that. Um, so yeah, definitely can lead to injury. Gotcha. So interesting. So if a runner is feeling like maybe they have a little niggle or something that's going on, um, when I guess, what is the threshold for like, when should you seek a physical therapist help? So, I mean, like some absolutes are if you're severe, if you're limping, if it's uh, like affecting your walking, that's a sign that like it, or like you're feeling really weak in a muscle, that is definitely a sign um, that you should seek out some help because there might be some grade of tearing in there. Um, if there's bruising um, after you feel something like a, a twinge or a pop or, you know, anything like that, then definitely seek out some help. Um, 
if there was a recently known trauma, like a sprained ankle, or, you know, you fell, and then now you're having um, injury. Um, if you've already tried resting and rehabbing beyond six weeks, then definitely seek out the help. Um, unfortunately, a lot of time people come in a couple weeks before the race day. <laughs> so my busy season is April and October. <laughs> I, bet. Um, I get, yeah, kind of like overwhelmed with the amount of runners come in, but that's like, that's what I've, I don't want people to get injured, but that's what I've dreamed for as a therapist is to be that go-to person. And finally it's happening. Um, because I'm like, let's do this. We got to get you to race day where like, you might go somewhere else and they're like, yeah, you can't race. You're done. Maybe you should not run. <laughs> and I've been told that before, um, as well. And I was just like, you cannot tell a runner that they can't run. Um, you know, I, I definitely will if it's needed, but, um, you know, I'll try to get them to race day. I, unfortunately at that point, it doesn't become like, oh, let's fix the underlying cause, um, which might be a strength issue, which takes time. Um, uh, but it kind of becomes like a patch job <laughs> at that point. Like, all right, let's, you know, I'll do whatever I can manually and we'll tape you up. We'll get some compression on there. We'll get you ready for race day. Um, so yeah, the, unfortunately too many people wait too soon. And I would recommend if you're really looking for like a peak race experience and you know, you're going to go into a hard training session, get in with someone consistently. Um, you know, like you can cash pay at a lot of physical therapy places where you don't have to, to worry about a, um, you know, like the insurance coming to, into play, if you know, like, oh, I just want to go once a month, you know, for them to check in on me and get some manual therapy, or I want, you know, dry needling once a week or twice a week, like those can be cash pay options. And a lot of, not a lot of people know about that. You can use your insurance up to a certain amount um, without a, a prescription. So not a lot of people know that as well. So they um, don't always have to go see a physician first before they see us. Um, and, um, if you don't have that, then get in with a good, like sports massage person, um, for that manual component, if you already have like the strength component figured out. Um, so I would recommend just, you know, having that foot in the door already to stay ahead of injuries is the ideal thing, <laughs> um, as opposed to, you know, like that, that SOS moment. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's such good advice. Thank you. Um, and I know another common injury too, that we briefly touched on, but a lot of my listeners deal with are stress fractures. Um, I know that you kind of mentioned that the biggest injuries are mostly in like the hamstring cap, like that musculoskeletal knee area. But, um, what about stress fractures? How common are they? Why do they happen? Is, is it the same causes and is mm -hmm. it the same treatments? I guess like, how does that differ from let's say runner's knee? Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely have to be more cautious. So, um, I, I teach a course on running to physical therapists and, um, we start to get into examples of like the most common running injuries, but I always have at the, at the front of those slides, like reminders of how we as clinicians need to rule out a stress fracture first. We don't want to start treating someone if there's an underlying issue like that going on. So we need to, remember not to chase the pain and start treating right away, but get to um, be very specific with our testing so we can get to that diagnosis as quickly as possible. Um, so like we said before, the main reason is gonna be too much too soon. 
So that can be like overwhelming the system when you're underfueled too much too soon. Um, training, getting elevated too quickly, too much too soon. So it kind of, you can always simplify things to that rule with injuries. Um, the tissue healing time is going to exceed the recovery time. Um, a lot of, a lot of these examples. Um, so we need to take our rest days seriously. You'll just hear me keep preaching about that. <laughs> I'm all about the rest days. Um, and then we need to, we need to, um, have a variety in paces as well, just to make sure that we're not exceeding that level. Um, I'll kind of roll into your next question of how do we tell the difference between a stress fracture and something else going on? And a stress fracture is typically harder to weight bear through, um, throughout your day. So it's not like just during the run. So it will start to progress into a stress fracture if like you can barely walk or like you're very, you're very like hesitant to put weight on it throughout the day. Um, and the signs with running um, will be that it will worsen throughout the run um, to get until it gets to that point where you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot take another step. So that is a, a, a sign um, of a possible stress fracture. They are most common in the tibia or the shin. Um, so like that shin splint area. So if we use that as an example here, um, shin splints is a, a layman's term for an irritation into the posterior tibialis muscle or the posterior, um, the tibialis anterior muscle um, and their connection to the bone. So it will start to irritate the connection to the bone. The periosteum is like saran wrap around the bone <laughs> and then the muscle lies against that. And then um, it can start to irritate the peri periosteum. So those are those early signs of like a shin splint issue. Those ones will typically you'll, you might feel it at the beginning of the run, but then they'll typically go away throughout the run. Mm -hmm. And then that muscle irritation can become more severe and it can become a bone stress reaction. So that bone stress reaction, um, starts to like create some bruising, uh, around that like su superficial bone tissue, and it, there can be some localized swelling, very tender to the touch. You might actually start to see like a little bump happening there. Um, and so that is a sign like, okay, it's time to sh start shutting this down. <laughs> you know, take the rest that you need. This is no longer something that we are running through. Um, get the time off of your feet as much as possible. Some sports um, med doctors out there might choose to boot you even with a bone stress reaction. Um, that you can walk through with a boot as well. And then a stress fracture is when we actually start to see like the actual fracture into the bone. So like that typical like line or cut through the bone that we, we think of when we think of a, a fracture. Um, so those ones are definitely shut it down situations. Um, you're going to be booted and bone typically just like in general, everybody's different, but bone will take, uh, like eight to 10 weeks to heal where muscle is more like a six to eight week recovery time. Okay. That's such important information. Um, and I know that a lot of the listeners will really find that helpful as far as stress stuff. And I know that, um, I know I see a lot of times like, Oh, I have a stress reaction or, Oh, I have a stress fraction. I've been like, well, what is the difference there? But it's so helpful to hear that perspective and hear like the physiological stuff that's going on. Yeah, I would I would treat those the same though. You know, um I've had really, really bad 
bone stress reaction patients um, where they're taking beyond 10 weeks to heal just because like that bruising and that bump that was happening was pretty severe, but it didn't quite go into the, the full on fracture. Um, but so they can be just as tricky. They can take just as long as to heal. So I wouldn't say like, well, I'm still going to run a race because they said it's just a bone stress reaction. <laughs> like I would, I would pretty much treat those the same, just, you know, to have, uh, get that return to sport faster. Definitely. And that is so smart. Absolutely. So do you think that injuries are just inevitable then as a runner? Um, I mean, the research shows that, um, more like a lot of research is going to be with the marathon level uh -huh. because it's, it's gonna, it's going to show the weaknesses, yeah. um, more apparently. So it, um, 90% of individuals training for a marathon will get injured at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a horrible stat to hear if you're like, I'm going to, you know, here comes 2024. I'm going to start training for a marathon. <laughs> um, but you know, that that's, that's any type of injury. So that could be like, oh, I was out for two days and then I was yeah. fine. So it can be very minor injuries and then severe. So not everyone's going to have to like take time off. It might be just like, like I said, like two days. Um, I think what is important, this is like a, another one of my soapbox moments uh, is that like, it's okay. To, you're not going to lose your fitness if you take time off. Like the, the very, 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 very tiny, small percentage that you lose within two weeks of not running at all. It's, it's so minor, especially if you have a history of being a runner, um, you have that mileage, years of mileage in your bones and, and muscles, um, you're going to jump right back into it. So like I said, like I've ran that, I've ran a marathon without even running four weeks prior. <laughs> and that's important because so many people are, are like, they're scared to taper. Um, they're scared to take those rest days. Um, and that's where the injuries happen. Um, and like I said, my busiest times are April and October, um, because people, um, they're not, they're, they're still going hard in that, like, you're pretty good to go within four weeks of a marathon. Yeah. Like your training, your training is there. Um, if you got a good plan going on, obviously, and you've had no injuries up until that point, um, you, so you just got to kind of trust the process, but some people are just pushing it too hard at that point. And it's like, Hey, you can do this the easier way and have better results. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> but it's it's really ha hard to like wrap um, your mind around. Um, and then boom, the injuries happen because everything accumulates to that point. Um, so I think that's a a big hack to the marathon is um, just uh, trusting the process and not overtraining. Um, and hopefully we can, I think there's so much more good information out there. Obviously like 2014, when I was training, like Gooch just started to be a thing. <laughs> like, yeah. And like, we did not like, we did not look at nutrition when I was in college. Like we got the calories in, which is the most important thing, but man, we were just like, you know, Doritos, Oreos dipped in peanut butter. We were just, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, it was going to work where, um, I really wish I could go back in time and maybe dial in on nutrition a little bit, um, more and, um, 
like protein wasn't a thing. You know, I mean, it was a thing, but like, it was like early on in the knowledge of that. Like we didn't have Garmin watches with heart rate data. We didn't have pace, you know, but I think that was a good thing too, because we, we knew if coach said, Hey, go out and do an easy run that we were all just going to like chat it up in the group and, you know, just have fun with that run. And we were going based off of feel and talking ability. So that's a way to, you know, assess your easy running. And, um, yeah, I wish I could go back in time and know all of those things that, that marathon, I was like, eh, maybe I'll take this. I learned in my training. I did one training run with one packet of goo. <laughs> I should have been doing like all my long runs with something. Yeah. I did not hydrate through long runs. No fuel with me except one time saying like, I might need this during the marathon. Let me test it out. And that resulted into like emergency bathroom situation. <laughs> and I was like, well, so I can't do goo brand goo. Um, so then I went to like the Gatorade chews and those worked for my stomach. And that's like, I only had like a few of those during that race. And it, yeah, if I could go back in time, I would do that. So there, there's so much more information out there that I really hope that that percentage of injury is coming down with all of this information out there. You know, shoe technology is getting so much better. Um, it's, it's just crazy what's out there. Like my 5k high school record, just like when all of that stuff came out, man, it just got smashed. <laughs> and that was like, that was like a record that had been standing, um, for like, 20 years that I broke. And then it was just like, boom, boom, like, oh, running is a cool sport to do. Look at all this cool stuff that's out there with it. And bam, it, it got broken. My two mile is still there somehow, but like <laughs> the 5k, I was like, oh, there that goes. But um, yeah, it's just awesome. All the recovery tools out there now and all the information out there, it's, it's so much more advanced. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really do think that kind of plays into why everyone's getting so fast. What do you think about those like compression therapies, like the Norma tech boots? Like, do you think those actually work or do you think it's like kind of a waste of money? Well, I have them. <laughs> it was like, okay, uh, amazing. Yeah. So I see she has them. So yeah, anyway. I gotta, I gotta try everything for research purposes, but absolutely. Um, yeah, we have them. They feel good. They're comforting. Um, you you feel a difference in blood flow after them. Um, I read a, a book on all the recovery methods out there, and it wasn't the it wasn't like the best um population size for like the research she was doing. She was more of like a journalist. Um, but you know, it it a lot of what she was saying was true that um she was looking at performance. Um, so your recovery playing into performance levels and they weren't seeing increased performance levels with um like foam rolling massage cryo tanks ice baths um the normatech boots um everything like that that's out there um and you know all then you go into like all those like recovery supplements and everything like they, they weren't playing into performance increases and what what it came down to was sleep <laughs> so you know we we put so much money towards all of these like recovery fads but it's just you know it's a free thing sleep um it's hard to do especially you know like i i don't get it with being a parent and working full time like my sleep is horrible um and that's what I know is like a factor for my training. And I got to adjust things based off of that. Um, 
but yeah, sleep improved re uh, recovery and performance. And she had the analogy in there that really stuck in my head that they saw that like running on four hours of sleep was the equivalence to running under the influence of a six pack of beer. Yeah. <laughs> and then like six hours of running or six hours of sleeping was like equivalence to like four beers or something. So it's just like, imagine how horrible you would feel doing that. Um, and then like the eight hours, you know, that seven to eight hours was like, you know, they, they were seeing the, um, performance-based stuff that, um, this is another one of those, if I could go back in time moments, um, we took ice baths daily in college and you definitely felt good. Like you could, you know, you could recover for the next day, but what they saw with the ice bath was that it was, Improving the, like your short-term performance, but the long-term it's actually stopping that necessary inflammation that we need to grow our muscles. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I was taking away all that work that we put <laughs> like on a daily basis. Like we should have just done it like the, the a day or two leading up to the race, but we did it every single day and it was torture. So if I didn't have to do that, <laughs> that would have been great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it feels good. It definitely like you feel like you can perform better after an ice bath. Um, but I did use this year, um, the firefly recovery devices. I don't know if you've it's seen them. I've heard they are fantastic. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I met with them, I, I, I was asking all the science questions and they were like, they, they honestly couldn't answer a lot of them. Um, cause she was just like the liaison for those of us, like trying to be like ambassadors for it. And, um, uh, it, it made sense though, sense though, there, there have been electrical devices out there for years that have improved, um, wound healing with patients with severe, like bed sores and things like that. Um, so I've seen that in the medical world and that's where those devices um, stemmed off from. So they were seeing so much improvement in circulation to heal those wounds um, at a faster rate. So basically um, what they saw was that those devices were like 400% more effective in the circulation of the blood flow compared to the Normatec boots or just like there's other brands of boots out there. Um, so I use that more in training for Chicago and I think it was a game changer. Um, we we can always like go out for a run and feel fine, but you know, simple things like walking upstairs to my bedroom. Yeah. You're like, oh, man, that was tough. How did I just run 10 miles? But I can't even, like, it's a, it feels like work walking upstairs. So that's where I noticed. I'm like, well, that's weird. I don't feel sore walking up the stairs anymore. And then like on, on the speed days, I felt like, why can I get to this last interval without um, you know, like that crazy, like breakdown feeling in my legs. And I don't know if it, it's hard because I was doing so much more proper training. So I don't know if it was, you know, one or the other, but the combination worked well. <laughs> I can say that just off of personal experience, but yeah, I think it, um, it definitely helped. Definitely. That's so good to know too. So I'll definitely have to link that down below too for the listeners um, because I definitely have been wanting to try that out. And it's especially coming from a physical therapist standpoint, I am very happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had to try them out. So it it worked. It, it helped. I think I might have to order some. <laughs> yeah. I don't get any kickback for that or anything. I just, um, they sent me some for free and I was like, yeah, cool. Well, sign so, me up. <laughs> that's awesome.
Well, Lauren, you have offered so much amazing advice today and just answered so many great questions about how to prevent injuries and what to do. And I just thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I just continue to do what you're doing because it's it's motivating to others. And, you know, being from that science-based psychological background, like, uh, I think you've reached like some great self-actualization amongst yourself and, and people can feed off of that and you can, you can spread that news to the world and, and it will, it will set you apart and, you know, someone who needs it will see it and it's going to help them. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. You are so sweet. And I will make sure to link all of her social medias and everything down below um, that she discussed. And if you guys have any further questions, you can reach out to Lauren or myself and we will get back to you.